Wrestling. My name is Andrea Afuakwamia. Welcome to The Only Black Girl on Mars, a podcast where we shine a spotlight on strong black women who are shaping the world through their diverse strengths, paired with their unique perspectives and experiences. Welcome back to Mars, everybody. I cannot believe it's actually April. And I know a lot of you are excited as the vaccine rolls out. I know I'm ready to start traveling, but please remember that it ain't over until it's over. Things are not completely safe for a lot of individuals. So just be cautious. Make sure you're still carrying around your mask. This is not a lecture, but as someone who has recently been personally affected, Please just keep this in mind that it's still very real. But we're here to talk about our next guest. And her name is Vanessa Nyonsel. And she is a PhD student at the University of Minnesota. She's extremely incredible, highly active humanitarian who is working on her PhD in psychology. And she also is a host of her own podcast called PH Diversity, where she essentially guides people through the process of getting into um, a program and what that looks like from a diverse lens. She is um, a current fellow with the National Science Foundation and genuinely an all-around just kind person. Today, we're going to be talking about the experience of the Black community, especially from our perspective of being uh, dual culture West African women, and she is also going to be talking about the work that she did during the Black Lives Matter movement this June, where she essentially supported a lot of communities by raising upwards of 20,000 funds and donating her time and efforts all by herself, all of her own accord. I'm really excited to share this with you. A few housekeeping Please, if you can, subscribe to my Patreon. If you only want to do a one-time donation, I've added a coffee so you can support me with a one-time donation. This will allow me to get transcripts, edits out on the episodes, um, and just support in order to make this show more consistent. And for new subscribers um, and anyone pre-existing, I will be sending you a little gift, so please be sure to um, subscribe. I'm really excited to grow this family. Lastly, I am doing a seminar on Tuesday the 13th, and it's on the state of mentorship in this day and age. And mentorship is extremely important for anyone to continue growing in their career and just getting guidance on their path and how to succeed and get in roles that are not always within reach. So if you're interested in that, all of this information is linked in the show notes, as well as all of the links to Vanessa's pages. But let's get started. Esther just started though, right? No, right? Well, I mean, it feels like yes, but time is going so fast. Oh, okay. Master so, <laughs> started in September. Oh my like, God, it's October already. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of crazy. 
I feel like I can't keep up with the days anymore. And because everything is at home, I don't even know when the weekend is. And it's really messing with my head. <laughs> are you at your family home or are you in your apartment? My apartment in Minneapolis. Got it. How is Utah treating you? Well, f- first of all, it's you're this is the least judgmental voice that anyone has ever relayed to me using the word utah so i appreciate that (laughs) i've told like i went to go visit home in new york and i told maybe like four of my closest friends i live in utah now and the reaction was always all the same like utah why utah and (laughs) like my reaction is probably less because I am currently Minneapolis. Oh, okay. So I'm like, okay. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, so it's treating me, it's doing exactly what I came here for was for the quiet, the solitude, and just like the mountain views so I could get work done. And Mm -hmm. I feel like it's really hard to explain to people who love the city, like Mm -hmm. why anyone would ever do that. But I'm an introvert. So I'm like this is literally like the best thing for me to be able to um to like have some reprieve but of course as everyone is noting but not really saying out loud yes there are not I saw like two black people yesterday and I was staring at them out my window so I was like let me join you I almost I was like should I go outside and introduce myself like where are the rest of you (laughs) but but I think it's okay because I I'm like I really need came here to to work so we'll see how it goes but but what is uh Minnesota like Minnesota (laughs) uh we had our first snow this week it didn't stick but it snowed and I'm like you shouldn't even be thinking about snowing at all now so that was in October Yeah. (laughs) yeah I'm not having it I mean Luckily and not luckily, I don't have to leave my apartment Mm because all my classes are online. So it's not like I'm going anywhere. Things are open, which was a stupid choice, but I'm not going (laughs) anywhere, even though like I want to. Right. So it's still like, yeah, it sucks outside, but I'm not going outside. So (laughs) it's fine. But are you also on faculty or are you just taking classes? So I'm. Well, academia is so interesting. So I'm a student. Mm -hmm. So last semester I was TAing. Okay. But um, I got the National Science Foundation Fellowship. So because I get slightly more money and my money's come, my funding's coming from them, I don't have to TA for three years. So I'm not TAing. Congratulations. Oh my God, that's fantastic. How do you feel about that? I mean, that's that's good, right? You can have more time to just focus on your research. Yeah, I mean, one, I like it because, well, I don't have to TA. Grading is annoying mm. and like I'm starting to like mentor a bit more with like undergrads in the lab working on research. So I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I mean, at this point, my options are open as to what I want to do post my PhD. So I'm like, okay, if I do want to go into academia, I do need experience teaching. So I still need to get that. So, I mean, I'm asking all my friends that teach classes to let me like guest guest teach or guest lecture a class. Mm -hmm. And then I'm hoping 
not next, either next year or my fourth year to take a year off my funding. So that way I can like teach Got for it. a year yeah. and then I want to get back on funding for my dissertation year because right. I'm not trying to do all that teaching stuff while I'm. So. Yeah, I understand that. I decided to TA after we graduated from Columbia and oh my God, grading is so hellish. <laughs> And I don't know why one semester I was like, I can handle TAing two classes. And I was like, why would no. I ever do that while I still have a full-time job? Like that's so, no. <laughs> so ridiculous. <laughs> it's like a lot of hate thing. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, it takes one, it takes away time from things I would rather be doing, right. but it's also like, you know, one of my favorite ways of procrastinating is by doing other work that's less in point, important and brainless to avoid doing the real work. Exactly. So while grading was annoying, it was nice to be like, well, I don't want to work. Might as well pour a glass of wine, throw on 90 Day Fiance and grade. <laughs> so that option is now gone. <laughs> but it's also, it's not another thing on my to-do list. That's yeah. your, your guilty pleasure. I actually watched one of the most recent seasons and I know one of the guest people that came onto the show there they went to my undergraduate school and I was like what wait wait <laughs> which season who is it I think it was season nine you know the the young black couple uh from Atlanta I think um Chantal and Pedro no because <laughs> they're it's okay because I actually started like my route into it I started with 90 day fiance before new 90 days Okay. And then I watched the other way. And now I'm watch I'm making my way through the original 90 Day Fiance. Oh, I'm mixing it up with Married at First Sight. No. How embarrassing. <laughs> it's okay. They're all similar vibes. That means when I got into 90 Day Fiance, I didn't expect it would take up as much time I'm like oh this is just one series and now I'm like no I need to watch yeah no if if I if I ever watch 90 day fiance it's just the YouTube clips because I'm like I can't and especially after watching like the clips with big ed I was like what is this (laughs) big ed I hate I hate that man I hate that man (laughs) well yes people we have our degrees and we still like these shows. It's okay. <laughs> Everyone has their guilty pleasures, but oh man. Well, first of all, thank you again so much for joining me um, on this episode. I've been dying to interview you for months and months, honestly. <laughs> and, and I think this is one of the things where I'm, I'm only a few years older than you, but when I see how much you've accomplished in what you do, and I don't want to say this in a way to sort of um, to minimize, but you were so young and you've done so much. And I have just always really looked up to that. And even the even as you're talking about your scholarship and your plan, you, you've always been such an organized, thoughtful person about how you're going to attain your goals. And that's something that I think, you know, every person can can learn from but you're also very open about the areas when you need rest and when you um where you feel like you have limitations and what you're going to do to overcome that so um so i'm just really excited to talk to you and and hear about all of the amazing things that you've been doing in frankly a year that has been a really difficult shit show for many oh people God. let alone 
a PhD student that lives in Minnesota that is <laughs> first generation. So <laughs> I don't even know where to start. Wow. You, you kind of do it all. Um, wow. But I mean, since we've been talking about it, can you tell us more about um, your program in psychology and sort of what got you into this tract? I know you have an emphasis on focusing on the Black community and sort of what that, why that's important to you. Yeah. So I am a second year grad student. I'm getting my PhD in counseling psychology. So broadly, I'm being trained in both like, you know, research and I'll talk about my research area as well. And in addition to that, I have started seeing clients this year. I have four people that when they say I talk to my therapist, they mean they've talked to me and I'm still trying to that information that I am someone's therapist but that's been a really that's been a really fun journey because that's something I've been working towards for years yeah so this is showing you but in terms of my research so yeah as you mentioned I'm particularly interested in um, black mental health more specifically I would say like black women's mental health mm -hmm. um this feel I gave when I was applying to like graduate school was that like you know I'm interested in like the theory of like intersectionality Kimberly Crenshaw and pretty much applying that to mental health so for right. people that aren't very people who may not know what that is the way I would explain explain it in layman's terms is that like I'm interested in how being a member of multiple marginalized groups mm -hmm. opens people up to like you know a host of um social and environmental stressors that impacts their mental health and how they then like you know kind of understand and deal with their um mental illness or mental health struggles in a culturally appropriate way right. so by multiple marginalized groups. I mean, I focus on Black women, but at least for me, I view this as a lens through which to explore, I mean, primarily the Black community because I am within the Black community, but how like, you know, there's not one monolithic Black experience. Mm -hmm. And I feel like psychology research as a whole tends to treat Black people as a monolith, which frustrates me. They don't allow, not even Black people, they don't allow non-white participants the same level of heterogeneity that they allow white participants right so it's me just trying to be like hey not all black people are alike our experience vary as a difference our our experience vary as a result of like you know our gender our social class our immigrant status like mm -hmm. you know i primarily identifies Nigerian American right and I talk about how like you know my development of my Nigerian American identity was a different process than my acceptance of my black identity right, right. so it's just like it's just like there are all these things yeah that are happening and it can get all wishy-washy and complex but yeah 100 percent I think uh you bring that up I was thinking today I was like first generation experience is something that is so hard to describe for anybody. It's like people in the beginning when your kid want you to make a choice. And then if you're so lucky, it's sort of learning how to realize that you are many things at once and, and how mm -hmm. do you figure that out? Um, and I, I honestly, I think I started taking therapy when I was 15 and I don't know if I hadn't started that early. I don't know how I would be able to think about myself now. Um, but I'm curious to know what 
are the methodologies that one would use to be able to capture something that is so nuanced and sort of intricate. Um, and I know you're you're probably working on that now, but I'm just curious what are the steps that are currently being taken um, to sort of figure out how we can support that community? Yeah. So I guess I should say, like, give the disclaimer that, like, I'm just starting all this and I'm of, figuring this out. Of course, of course. <laughs> Not an expert. <laughs> but I would say, so even though... Okay, the first thing that comes to mind is, like, using qualitative methods, right? A lot of research and psychology as a whole tends to really focus on using quantitative methods, which are just pretty much, like, if you take a survey, you fill out scales, like, you know, this very empirically validated sort of thing. And, like, you know, I think those are limiting, but at the same time, those can be helpful, especially if you're thoughtful about the questions that you ask. But... I find that qualitative analysis would probably be more, qualitative methods would be more useful in this domain just because there's not much there at all, right? Like how can we start asking scales to like try and quantify an experience when we don't even have a sense of what this experience is? No baseline, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, conducting interviews and like thematic analyses. I think that would be a way to get at it in the future. I'm not there yet, but that's, I feel like that is that's okay. that the main uh, way. But I mean, I think it still has an impact because that's, that's what you're working on and studying is a starting hypothesis, right? And one of the things that I've and tell me if you, if you agree with this. One of the things that I felt and realized as I got older, especially in the way of um, mental health and psychology, is that there's a huge emphasis on ensuring that young adults have um, support or that they're um, having someone to talk to. I, I remember when I was in high school, there was a um, I lost a friend, and the expectation was that I went to go see a therapist for three sessions and in my head I'm like that's not no that's not a long not time enough. at all but now you have you have children who are still figuring stuff out and and at least maybe there's more of an encouragement for them to seek care but now we have a movement where there's a, a desire to encourage and open um well, since this podcast is for women of color and you focus on women of color to really accept that we go through a lot and that it's okay for us to seek care as adults. Um, do you ever feel in your experience that, um, that there, that it's in improving right now, or do you feel that there is still sort of a hesitation despite the conversations? I know Huff, HuffPost um, and uh, Michelle Obama, a lot of those have been assisting in, in broadening the scape and um, therapy for black women. Um, do you, in your, in your, uh, you are an expert. So in your, no. <laughs> you are, no, compared to me, you are. <laughs> so in, in your, in your opinion, do you see it making an impact or are those things that you you discuss in class and are, are finding ways to track? 
So I would say like in my personal experience, mm. I do think, I mean, I mean, for me, one, I'm happy you went to therapy at 15. I was avoiding therapy until I was 20, <laughs> which was a dumb move on my part. I should have gone earlier. <laughs> But how would anyone know? That's my point, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I feel it's like there is a broader movement to be like, hey, you know, it's okay to go to therapy, especially I think it's both a general Black thing was a general like Black thing. And then also a further like uh, African thing that mm-hmm. first like within the Black community, it's like, that's a white people thing. We don't do that, which right. is false. Everyone can go to therapy. And then within like, you know, the African community, it's like, that's an American thing. Right. We don't do that. So right. it's like, there are these <laughs> layers, which I just don't think is helpful at all. But I would say just because people are talking more openly about like, you know, seeking help. They're like, you know, lots of like online communities like that prioritize rest and things like you know specifically for like black women and women of color that I do think it's becoming more normalized more acceptable to talk about and like you know everyone this age is like you know yeah my therapist said this or I went to like I do think it's much more normalized in a way that it wasn't like you know when I was growing up and I know like back when I babysat I miss babysitting like you know (laughs) with kids like you know, I would like babysit kids that like, you know, had therapists and I'd be like, oh, that's cool. Like, you know, I see a therapist too. Like, you know, just really trying to be like, it's normal. Normal. It's fine. So I think that's something new. And then it's also mentioned that I kind of mentally laughed a bit when you mentioned discussions in class, because um, this won't turn into a whole rant about academia or the field (laughs) Oh, feel free. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm still trying to get a job at some point. <laughs> but um, as I've hinted at, psychology as a field is just very white. That is just a fact. There's not really like a level for this. There's and within classrooms, it's not really, there's not really room or space for this like this level of nuanced discussion like you know within my department I am one of only three black people we have 200 grad students within my whole department there are three of us within my area of counseling I'm the only black person like that's just (laughs) so who is there to have these discussions and when I'm in these classes that are about um teaching of like multicultural competence which I have a whole another thing about it's like I feel like we're entering these conversations on two different levels right you know I'm entering here with my lived experience I grew up in a very diverse area like you know my I grew up just outside DC that was Mm -hmm. diverse went to school at New York in Columbia with you so like New York is really diverse everyone's there and then I lived in Philly so like I'm just coming from this thing of like I know what it's like to interact with people that don't look like me right? right and then even in a like both in that sense, but also like, you know, I am used to being the only black person in the room. So like, you know, my entire schooling career, I have been learning how to interact with people that are different than me. Like I just had to do that to survive. And then like outside of school, I'm doing that. Like, you know, my best friend is Filipino American. So like, it's just like that sort of thing. So I'm entering with these experiences and I'm like, okay, I know how to talk with people let's like figure this out. And it feels like a lot of the discussions in class are really tailored to 
white people who have never really seemed to have interacted with a person of color before. Like the discussions just seem very cognitive and like, you know, how do I approach this? How do I ask someone about their culture? And I'm like, why do you need like a sheet to treat someone as a human? I don't understand why this is such a confusing right like they're putting more of an emphasis on the differences than just trying to figure out where to make a commonality in order to help the person yeah Yeah. and it's like this thing where it's like I'm not saying like we all are the same but it's also understanding like you know everyone has a different cultural background but it's just like you know if I meet another black person I don't assume I know everything that their life is like, right? If I meet an Asian person, I'm like, I don't assume I know everything, but I know, oh, they may have do things different than me. They may not, but like, I have this sense of like, so it's just, I'm still working out the language to explain my feelings Mm -hmm. about this. But um, all that to say, there are not discussions of this in class because it's like diversity 101. And I'm just here like, oh my gosh. Right, but I think that's really important to, point out because um i mean take us for example we're technically nationally we're neighbors nigerian and Ghanaian, (laughs) but there are it's kind of like the idea it's like same same but different like we have a lot of things that overlap but we have you know the cultural nuances it's the same way with anyone in the states like did you live in the suburbs did you grow up in the city like Mm -hmm. you know i in, in college i had friends who were like Chinese Jamaican like things and and so like I think that the idea that it's so easy to just put someone in a box is is really flawed and I so I agree with you in that case um I think that having these conversations is really important for um you know friends and and people who are wanting to learn about different cultures to understand that you, like you said, black is not a monolith. Like you cannot see a brown person or a black person uh, or any other person of color and put them in one box and say that this is their treatment plan. You know, like that's not <laughs> that's not how it works. And then you're, and I know so many people who have tried therapy once, and it and it wasn't clicking and they just felt like they're not going to be understood. They're afraid to go back and, and have to basically feel like they're um, like, I don't know, going, pushing upstream to, to explain to the person that's supposed to give them relief Mm -hmm. who they are as a person. And and that defeats the purpose. Right. So I think everything that you said is, is valid. And I think the, I think the hard part is like, there's not enough time to cater to the feelings of people who are so um, concerned about trying to understand different cultures because it's already exhausting enough to have to be that only person in the room or be the only person on faculty that is a different person and know that when that discussion comes up that they're gonna look at you. what do you think, you know, (laughs) and defer to that. It's, it's a lot of pressure. I can imagine. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But I mean, well, you mentioned your best friend and, um, 
And you, what's her name again? Her name's Mighty, Mighty My, Bell, but Mighty they call Bell. her Mighty. And she is, um, and you guys are working on something that is meant to be a universal universal language about culture and, and differences. And, and that is your um, comic to and fro, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, tell me more about that, like how that came how that came to ideate and um, and sort of how you guys have continued to develop it over this past year. Yeah, so um, the way To and Fro started, it was a few years ago when, so I only permed my hair once. Like my hair has always been like natural for like most of my life, Lucky. but I would always like... <laughs> <laughs> The only one. <laughs> yeah. My hair had always been like, you know, this nice, beautiful, kinky afro, but I would always have it in braids, right? I never really learned how to take care of my hair when it wasn't in braids. It was, it would get braided, it would come out, wash it, that's it, a week and off, put it back in braids. Mm -hmm. And then there was a period of time when I'm like, you know, I love braids, but I think my hair needs some time to breathe. Let me actually like, you know, wear my hair let me learn how to like take care of my hair like let me love it like etc 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 so it was during this pre period of time where like I started wearing my afro like you know out of the house and about that I was like figuring this out and I hung out with Mighty throughout that of course and then there was one day I was playing at our house after I'm not sure if I had gotten braids in again at that time or my afro was out but I noticed she drew this picture this watercolor picture of these two boys that had afros and one of their hands, like there was a hand going in one afro and then coming out of the other. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, did you draw this because I got an afro? <laughs> and, she's, <laughs> and she's like, yeah, I saw that. And I was like, huh, imagine if there was like interdimensional afros. And I'm like, this is really cool. We should do a comic about this. Yeah. And so we're like, okay, cool. So it was just like, an idea we had for like a few years, like, you know, Mighty would occasionally just draw things with these boys. And we didn't really know like what their names were, what we were gonna do. But then about two years ago, we're like, okay, no, we're actually going to do this. So then it led to conversations of like, what do we want this to be? Do we wanna like create a story about them? Do we wanna do like a more slice of life thing or daily life? We eventually settled more on like, you know, just a slice of life daily life like this is a comic of just them doing random things because it just felt like the most fun mm. and so we started working on that seriously two years ago and then this year is when we actually started sharing and for that mighty is the artist because i can't draw worth shit so <laughs> i write in mighty draws and i have to give so 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 much credit to mighty because I can sit down and like, you know, spend two hours just writing some stuff and make, okay, here you go. I can review, like the heart and soul of To and Fro is mighty. I cannot overemphasize this enough. <laughs> like the arts take so, 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 so much time and I appreciate her. So like, I almost feel weird saying like, you know, we're doing this together. I feel more <laughs> I'm just helping mighty because art is hard and I really cannot emphasize that I appreciate and love her so much for that. Aww. But, um, well, I mean, everything collaborations, it always takes 
each part, you know, however much you, you put into it, but you're the one that comes up with the storylines, right? We, some yes and no. So okay. there's some, we have, uh, we do a lot of our stuff on OneNote. So there's a thing where we'll put a brain dump where we're like, oh, I have an idea of this. I have an idea of this. So there's some comics where Mighty comes up with, and there's some that I come up with. It's a mix of both, but even for the comics in which Mighty comes up with the idea, I'm the one that writes the script. Do you the- have... Do you have a, a favorite story or one that you found was most impactful or like important for you while you're writing it? Yeah. So actually, um, you already hinted that this year was a shit show. Mm. So obviously, um, George Floyd was murdered this year in Minneapolis, the city in which I was in. Mm-hmm. So because of that, um, Mighty, well, yeah, Mighty and I, I had the idea to like actually make our first like serious comic in response to that. And it's funny because that script was one I had actually written in January thinking like the original version of the script was when I was written in January that I was like, oh, maybe we could use this to highlight um, like, you know, we could use this to highlight like, you know, the beauty of Africa, like African mm-hmm. continents, because initially he's like, where's Wakanda? Wakanda's not there. And then Zeke gets upset because he's like, how come the only time we see Africa is trash? Like right. I want an Africa that looks like cool. So yeah. that was the original version of the script. And then after George Floyd happened, I was like, okay, obviously I need to change it to make it more relevant to the situation, but I still wanted to explore this within the comic right and that was the comic itself like that rewrite of it came from like two separate things one um it was <laughs> i was talking to someone and they mentioned how like their kid thinks that wakanda is a real country so i don't understand what they're learning at school. <laughs> and i was like a more joking thing offhand <laughs> and then i was talking to another friend that's a parent and they were saying how um i was checking in on them because in regards to like the pandemic and george floyd and i'm like you know how's your kid doing and they were like mm, not well she wears a mask in the house all the time and she doesn't want to go outside because she's scared that either the virus will kill her or the cops will kill her. Mm. So those two things kind of melded in my mind and I'm like, okay, I think I can capture these two concepts, those feelings and like, how would I like, what would I want to tell this child? What would I want to tell myself? Cause I'm trying to cope with this as an adult and right. I don't know right. how do I cope with this as a kid? So that then, Became the rewrite where it still started as Zeke being like, Where's Wakanda? <laughs> and they're like, It's not real, dummy. And then he's like, Then where did they film it? And Zion's like, Where do you think Star Wars was filmed? And Zeke's like, In space. And everyone's like, You idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so it still started with that. Aww. And then, um, they go to their dad and Zeke's like, I think Zion is lying. It has to be real. And the dad's like, mm, no, sweet. No, it, it's not. So then he starts crying and they're like, what's happening? What did you do to your brother? And they're like, I don't know. And then um, Zeke is, says like, you know, you know, I thought, well, I thought George Floyd would 
I thought Mr. Floyd would still be alive in Wakanda. Like, I want us to go there. He would be alive. Right. And then they're like, the dad's like, I'm out of my depth. Let's bring mom into this. <laughs> so they go into mom's room and mom and like, you know, Zeke starts crying and they don't like they're t- it's a tough situation. Right. right. And then Zeke is crying. He's kind of inconsolable. And then they're asking Zion, like, okay, Zion, how are you feeling? And Zion's like, you know, I thought Zeke was being stupid and he is stupid, but like, you know, he has a point because, you know, if we were there, sure, he would have found a cure for coronavirus already. So right. we could go outside. And if we were there, like, you know, the Dora Milaget would protect us from the cops. First off, there wouldn't even be cops there. And if there were, they would protect us. So I guess he's right. And then they both just start crying. <laughs> and then after that, um, it's the parents like trying to be like, you know, we, cause they are, we say they're middle school aged. We haven't actually pinned down an actual age for them, but somewhere mm-hmm. between nine and 11, we don't know. Right, right. <laughs> like, yeah. And it's them, the parents are like, you know, we thought we had more time. We didn't want to have this conversation with you yet right but it's scary and it's real but also like it was this hard balance of like trying to keep it vaguely lighthearted, and also be like these are real real scary feelings and I don't want to belittle that but at the same time these feelings are real we're going to validate that but we're not gonna let this hold us down in that the dad eventually says at one point that like, you know, the people who do these things to us want us to want us to feel small and afraid and helpless. And if we give into those feelings, that's letting them win. So it's real, it's scary. We can acknowledge that, but we can't wallow in that. Right. And at the same time, you also have to look to see that there are people who Yes, we see the way that the police cheated George Floyd and all these other people, but at the same time, look at the news. We have these protesters that are here, like, you know, fighting for what's right. So, like, trying to, like, get at that. And, like, of course, it's not satisfying. Oh, it is satisfying. But it's, like, a real scary, hard thing to try and process as, for me, a 20-year-old and trying to think about how would I explain this to a nine-year-old in a way that's like, no, this is real. I'm not going to deny that. It's a crushing, crushing weight. But at the same time, like, we can't, like, it's a balance I'm also still trying to work on in my right. life. Yeah. So that was like our serious comic, our longest comic trying to like tackle that. Right. I mean, it's, uh, it's that, um, it's capturing the nuance of the, the talk, um, which I feel like that, that idea of the talk has changed for us, you know, <laughs> and, and the idea that it's not always going to come. It's, there's never going to be a convenient time to, that's kind of what I'm hearing is that it's never going to be a convenient time to have the discussion and also to explain it in a way that is ever going to seem fair because it's not, it's not a fair situation. Yeah. No, I think that's very clever. And I think that's, um, I, I think I love that the work that you do, um, you know, is really for all ages, because if you look at that story from the perspective of the child who sees things from the lens of, of, of whimsy and, you know, 
for for those listening, Vanessa and I are really into anime and and yes. so we're into like <laughs> the world of of make make believe but it doesn't even have to be that it's just something that is inspirational and then the parents who are also trying to honor uh, a creative child's mind while helping them understand reality you know I think that's it's a, a difficult task and it sounds like um I understand and appreciate why that episode is probably important for you yeah and um, it's harder to write because I'm not a parent so like this is no. all like what would I hypothetically say yeah so but, but you but you love babysitting so I'm sure oh. that that came into play you know like yes. you, you you have to I mean I think if I recall you're you're babysitting so, someone much younger but still like yeah I think as as someone who has nannied in the past even though you're not a parent those feelings of like how do I protect this child how do I encourage them how do I facilitate a positive impact I think that all that all kicks in you know like um devoid of of the the nature of blood relation yeah Um, but it's, it's a perfect segue to one of the main things that um you have done this year um as it relates to George Floyd and the protests that honestly I you know, I was just being the biggest creep, just like watching all your stories. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, so I, so during the protest, during the earlier days when people were actually still very committed to the cause that has not gone away for anybody listening, you know, <laughs> it's black so real. people are still out here and are being harm the states and have to make a plug also in nigeria hashtag yes. and sorry it's a global global thing yes it is global that there is a lot of police corruption a lot of uh, like colorism just racism in many cultures this idea that being black and dark-skinned is less than and and one of the things that i think you did very well that i wanted to talk to you about was sort of leveling the playing field in the sense that what you were gonna contribute was to make sure that people had humanist needs. So to explain for those listening and and before I hand it off to Vanessa, this woman raised upwards of $17,000 in how many days was it? About a month and the end total ended up being 23,000. Okay, so there was even an update. $23,000 she raised and and what she did on top of that, cause it's, it's, for, it's easier to raise money, right? But what she did was she personally went to stores and bought supplies for locations to hand off. And, and I'll let you explain that a little bit more um, in order to make sure people had water, diapers, whatever condoms I saw at one point, <laughs> food, just everything. And she would take pictures to make sure people knew that their money was going to a place of good use. And um, and I, I remember the first post and tweet where you started asking for funds, but I, I just want to, I would love to hear the story firsthand, like, what inspired you, how you got the ball rolling? Did you have any help um, 
and sort of what the experience was like for you. It's a, it's a huge undertaking and, and really something that I think we could all learn from. Yeah. First, wow, that was so nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that started because, so George Floyd, he was murdered the 25th, the 27th, pretty much late, late May. Mm-hmm. So I was at home feeling sad for a few days. Well, I'm always sad. I have depression. That's a joke. No, it's not. Anyway, besides the point. <laughs> anyway, so I was at home. We'll go back to that. <laughs> I was at home feeling sad about this particular event. And then I was like, normally when things like this happen, I'm watching it through my phone, through the news. I'm not actually there, right? Mm-hmm. So I was at home and I'm like, well, technically, that's only like a, the spot where it happened is like, you know, 15 minute drive for me, I could go. Mm-hmm. So I was weighing back and forth about what to do because we were in the midst of a pandemic. And I'm like, is it safe to go? I don't know. But at the end, I decided I'm just going to pick up some flowers, go to where it happened, um, leave some flowers and just like, you know, sit there. So I did that. And I was just really lost as to what to do because I just felt really hopeless and helpless. And like, you know, this just keeps happening again and again and again. And I'm like, what, like, what can I do? I don't, I don't know. What can I do? So then I went home and then I believe it was that evening that the target was looted and there was a fire and I was scrolling on Twitter for updates and then there stopped being updates because I, I guess someone halted the communication. And then I made the very stupid decision of being like, I could just go. <laughs> so <laughs> I drove up there at like 1am, one of the dumbest things I have done oh, to just no. go and be like, what's it like here so like you know that was by the third precinct the target was looted entirely by that point um there was a building on fire and i was just kind of there like what is happening what is this like it wasn't really at least for that night i was out late i mean it wasn't like yeah there was a fire but like people were just kind of hanging around and like watching the fire that wasn't much happening but it still felt like too much the fire got intense so like I went home and I was laying there and I'm like well what can I do like you know going to like you know I'm like okay I can go bear witness but one I'm worried for my safety in this situation and again I was very dumb to go out alone without telling anyone I was going like I just that was dumb on all things but I'm like what can I do like you know I there's a pandemic I don't feel brave enough I wish I felt brave enough to be like you know on the front lines at the protests like you know staring off the call like I'm just not brave enough to do that so I'm like what can I do what can I do to support in a way that feels meaningful to me while also acknowledging like I'm a scaredy cat mm. so <laughs> um oh well well just before I let you go further I just want to acknowledge that there are different types of bravery. I'm this, I'm a similar type of person where I'm like, what is the logistical way I can contribute? 
when which doesn't mean that just because we're not in the front lines that that we're not courageous people and i and i want you to to know that i feel that way and i'm sure whoever is listening feels that way too so not to cut you off but no, you're fine and i will come back to why that thought i had was flawed but yeah that was a good call out but um yeah so then the next day i was scrolling on twitter and i saw that there was a call going up like hey we're gonna do a cleanup because like you know things got burnt raided everything that night so I'm like, hey, this is something I can do. And they're like, you know, asking for like, you know, brooms and cleanup stuff and also just water because like, at least at that point, it was like relatively, it ha- when this started, we didn't know what big, how big of a movement it would become, right? So mm-hmm. it was just this like thing of like, hey, people got their groceries from that target and now this huge swath has no access to get their necessities. And like, there's a whole thing with like redlining and food inequalities and food deserts and everything in Minneapolis. Right. So I was like, that's something I can do. So I'm like, cool, I'm gonna go pick up a few things and just drop it off. And then as I was walking out the door, I just sent out like, I think it was tweet, Insta, my Facebook, just being like, hey, there's this thing, they're asking for supplies. I'm gonna go do this if you wanna give me money feel free. And by the time I got to the target, I had 300. And then it just kind of like kept rolling from there. Cause I'm like, you know, if I get, if I keep on getting money, I'll continue to do this. I wanted to give away for people that weren't there to feel like they can contribute a way to know that like, you know, their money was being used. And like, that's why like I was sharing everything I was doing via my stories and pictures, not to be like, look at me, I'm doing like Right. I'm an person. It was more like, how, what's the most transparent way? How's the, what's the most transparent I can be? So people are aware that their money is actually going to what right. it said it could. Because right. I'm a very, very, very big critic of Sean King and how he, um, the there's lack a whole of transparency. Whole lack of transparency. Mm-hmm. He's a charlatan as far as I'm concerned. And I was really just like, you know, I don't want money that could be used to actually go help people to go line the pockets of someone like him or other people who are just going. So I'm like, let me like, you know, be a way that people know their money is actually going to be used for what it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, as you know, oh. what were the centers that you were dropping them off? Like, did they have a name or, or did, was it through an organization that they were asking for um, donations? Yeah. So all social media runs. So there were some churches I would go to. I already forgot the names. There was one in Midway um, around St. Paul area that I would drop supplies off. There was a church that was actually a few blocks from the third precinct. That's the place I went to a lot initially. There were some schools like um, Kip North Star and other places that ended up like, you know, turning into collection centers like that. And there was a very great, like, you know, mutual aid network in which, you know, people would be like tweeting, like this place needs this. And someone like, you know, made a map of location. So it was more like every day I woke up, I saw what the needs were, where they were, and I would go. And then even before, like, you know, it kind of got more online in that sense, initially just started by me deciding, oh, let me go to this place, ask them what they need and then bring it back. Mm -hmm. And then, Eventually it became a bit more online, but it was literally just 
toward in the beginning i was more focused on like south minneapolis because that's where it happened and then i eventually started moving a bit more towards north minneapolis because that is um, a predominantly um black neighborhood um lower ses just due to the history of like redlighting and et cetera et cetera et cetera so i was like you know this place is already overlooked underfunded doesn't have much and that's only being exacerbated Mm -hmm. by this situation like um my local pharmacy that i went to i don't live in north minneapolis but i that's the closest walgreens to me that was like burns down during the fire i don't know where i'm getting why i'm getting my like prescriptions from somewhere else now but it's literally just like right that's the thing that wasn't highlighted in the news that this area that already has so little is has even less so right towards the end i kind of focused my efforts there right i i think one thing i really do like about this story is that um you know there's the protesters and then there's the news has been trying to make it seem like it's been this radically violent uh like situation that it that is again there, it's hyperbole, right? Because there was the there were fires and lootings. There's no evidence to say that these were even of protesters. But instead of it being a focus on that, what you did was realize there's this issue. How can I supplement or help to alleviate this issue as a result of something? Um, and I think that in a lot of what goes on these days is there's a real... <laughs> emphasis and focus on the wrong thing instead of saying like what can we do to help alleviate this issue and and why is there this issue I think so much of what goes on right now is a distractor from the fact that there are people suffering and to your point the the redlining the um just the lack the food deserts and things that are all related to what we are fighting for and what we're trying to bring attention towards. So the the idea that honestly, like 20K, too many people, too many people who are well off is not a lot of money, but the amount that it can support wow, yeah. is like, it, it goes a long way when people have little to nothing, right? Yeah. When, what was your what did it feel like when when you sort of maybe you were becoming a regular or people were recognizing you or um do you have any like moments that that come to mind just from when it became a little bit normalized that you were doing these things for for the people that you were um dropping off to yeah i mean i would say I wasn't like, I would say the main place I went to the most was Pimentos, which is uh, a Jamaican restaurant with amazing beef patties here in Minneapolis. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah, so it was like fun, not fun, the situation was like stressful, right? But like it was like almost comforting in a sense to like go into a space and like, oh, I know this system. I know how to help volunteer. Like my first day there, I spent hours just like, you know, making, um, little emergency backpacks for people that were going out to protest protest like after dark and stuff and it was like nice running into people that i'm like oh you were here yesterday oh here you you were here a few days ago like that was like kind of nice and like 
chatting with people. And there was another girl I met there from Maryland. There were sometimes actually some of my um, friends from my program. One of them, she would like help me shop sometimes. I ran into another one at a volunteer site and I'm like, oh my God, we're both here together. So yeah, it became this like sense of routine and like almost a sense of like camaraderie, mm-hmm. which was interesting and like you know kind of unexpected but welcome to find but I will say like in addition to like you know like you know small moments of joy that I found there like this process as a whole I mean it was exhausting like both physically like it's tiring going every it's tiring like you know running around loading up a car like all that's exhausting but just like emotionally Mm. as well to just like it got to the point where it's like you know these issues that I'm here trying to help yes they've been exacerbated by like you know the closing of stores and everything in Minneapolis but it's like these aren't new issues people have always had these needs and like running into like you know these systemic failings up hand up like these systemic failings firsthand was extremely frustrating and like you know created a sense of powerlessness and then it was also I felt a lot of guilt as well, especially towards the end when I decided I was going to stop because like, I'm a grad student first, mm-hmm. but it was just like, it was a sense of guilt of being like, you know, if I didn't drive to these areas and did not spend time there, I would have no idea just because of the area of Minneapolis in which I live. It is so, it would have been so easy for me to just pretend like this was happening somewhere far off like I wouldn't really have there were a few protests in like downtown but for the most part like I don't live in downtown I live near it y'all don't need to know where I live but (laughs) (laughs) we we will come find you (laughs) yeah so it's like the areas like you guys were like seeing on the news and stuff like you know I had like, you know, I had not, the areas in which I was spending most of my summer doing these supply runs were areas I had never really had any reason to be in or go for in the year I'd been in Minneapolis before that. So it's just a sense of guilt. Like, you know, when I come home and I was able to escape it, that I'm like, this doesn't feel fair. Or even like, you know, the days in which I would like take a day off, I would feel so much guilt because I'm like, what privilege I have to be like, I mean, self-care is important and rest and radical. And I acknowledge that. But at the same time, it created feelings of guilt of just how easy it is for me to remove myself from the situation and not have to deal with it. And then I dealt with guilt when I'm like, okay, this is my last supply run. And just seeing like, you know, there's still so, so, so much need, but I have to stop because I have to give a priority to something else. So like, there was a lot of, of course I felt good for what I did, but I would say like the main emotion I felt throughout that experience. And even now thinking about it again was like guilt. And then a bit of frustration that it's like, you know, it's not up to one individual to change this entire system. Right. But I guess it's more like, it's, it's like <sighs> frustration at a system and guilt and seeing how it affects others and doesn't affect me and how I can just, if I want to turn a blind eye to it, it's very annoying, but yeah, it was draining. It was draining, but worthwhile for lots of things. I think one of my favorite 
favorite moments is I was dropping off um, supplies at C-Tool, which was actually a site just uh, a block away from where the murder happened. Mm-hmm. And there, um, there was this little girl, I was like bringing supplies out of my car into the thing. And there was this little girl inside who noticed what was happening. So I didn't even like, you know, I just waved at her. I didn't say anything to her. And like, I go back out to my car and she had like, you know, gone into the trunk to like, you know, she couldn't even get a whole bag cause it was heavy. So like, you know, she just got like one gallon water bottle and brought it in. And Aww. I'm like, thank you. Like you're just, uh, she was so sweet. Oh, <laughs> well, I think what I will say, I think guilt is something that, I personally growing up and I think I talk about this a lot, like empaths struggle with this feeling of, you know, putting the, like carrying the world on their shoulders. And especially, you know, I grew up in the suburbs. I I think the first time I experienced what you're describing, I was working at Health First, which is like in New York City, health insurance company doing like health fairs. And we would go into um, places in New York City, like Brownsville and um, people were just excited to get like water bottles and things like that because they just had fast food restaurants in certain areas. And they're at the time they were much more food deserts areas. And I realized I was like, I feel like I feel a bit like I'm an imposter mm-hmm. in trying to help people and, you know, wanting them to really understand that I'm not just here as a passive observer, but I'm here to, um, you know, to listen to what they need. And I think that in, in doing what you did, you are, it's the opposite, it's the antithesis of turning a blind eye because you, you, you didn't just send $20 to the church and then, you know, maybe remember a little bit later and be like, oh, I'm going to put that on my tax return or whatever. <laughs> like you committed almost a full month as a student um, and someone who definitely does carry a lot of emotions you know like uh, you internalize a lot of emotions that you know you're you're sensitive that way and that's not a bad thing but that is really the opposite of turning a blind eye because there are many many people um and i think i myself i think i could have done more i think it and anyone could say that they could have done more or could be doing something but yours was an active decision to take that step um and make sure that you connected with the, with the community. So I think it's something that, you know, should, should, um, should not be, be minimized at all. So um, no, it's just, it's very impressive. And I, and I, and I hope when you listen back to this, that you'll, you'll, you'll hear it that way, honestly, honestly. Um, But yeah, but that, that, that picture, excuse me, that picture of a, of a little girl holding, Oh, I'm just imagining it being her, the size of her <laughs> like, as, she, as she dawdles around. Yeah. But I mean, I think this is important because your point and, and the point that you brought up a couple times is that these are pre-existing issues. I think 
with with the Black Lives Matter protest, people are thinking that they need to just stand in the front line and chant, and that's the best way to help. And maybe for some people it is, but the idea is that there are so many mm-hmm. other things that you can do in order to support the Black community. And like, I notice now like people aren't posting as much of like buy Black goods or things like that, that they were in the beginning. And even a lot of the brands that had been, you know, got a slap on the wrist, people have forgotten that they're still doing the same shit Mm -hmm. and like utilizing black images in order to further their gains while still not having black stuff. All of these things are still occurring. Nothing, things are shifting slightly, but there's, there's so much work that still needs to be done. So I just wanted people to hear that story to realize like there are different things that you can do. You don't have to be what we define an activist. There, there are yes. different ways to, to be that, yeah. The revolution has room for everyone. Everyone can contribute in one way. If all you can do is donate money, that's fine. If you are willing to be on the front lanes, that lanes that's fine if you are like you know i'm gonna babysit the people who are babysit the kids that way their parents can go at it like there is room for everyone and while i do struggle with feelings of guilt it was like throughout that process and towards the end was me just realizing how like everyone has a role and everything is possible like you know i was not brave enough to go out on the front lines but you know like you know the times i spent creating like you know mobile post aid kits for someone so that way the people on the front lines like they needed us to help them so they could like there's room for everyone you need money you need people to document it you need artists you need people starting online campaigns to like there is room for everyone and everyone can contribute in their own way and if you're like me and constantly struggle with feelings of guilt (laughs) i understand that but at the same time everyone can play their part even playing a part it's just like you know having a difficult conversation with someone in your life. That's important. Cause at least one thing I say is like, I talk very like, you know, frequently and openly about these issues on social media. Cause I don't, it's not political for me. It's my life. Well, it is political, but it's also my life. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, yes, I can speak the same thing again, again, and again to the choir and they can agree with me and everything, but ultimately okay, you're convinced, but in order to create like, you know, the meaningful systemic change that I would like to see throughout the world and country, you need to talk to the people that I can't reach. There are people who are going to discount me just because I'm black or a woman or both, or they don't care. They have no stake. They painted me as some like radical black angry woman. So I'm not going to listen. Like they're not going to listen to my arguments, no matter how reasoned, they sound or how cordial I'm trying to be. They're just not going to listen to me. Right. So if you can do nothing else, if you, if you can do nothing else, but like talk to those family members that the people of us can't, who are doing the work can't reach, that is meaningful, right? Because I say, I can't, okay. I say, I can't reach like, you know, a group of like, you know, racist grandmas. I just (laughs) say, I can't, I'm pulling something out of thinner. I just, I just, that's not going to happen. Where am I going to find one? They're not going to listen to me. It's not going to happen. But if you are a grandchild of a racist grandma and you're able to get her to see it in a new way, she can then perhaps go and like, you know, challenge her other racist grandma friends in a way that like, you know, I could have never gotten to. Right. So like there's 
room for everyone. All work is valid. Have those difficult conversations, et cetera. Oh, those racist grandmas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. No, I mean, thank you. That's amazing advice. And I just honestly, I want to thank you for, for taking the time out for us to get to know you. I feel like, uh, and I want everyone to know, like, this is just scratching the surface. Um, this girl is a world traveler. She, she <laughs> does, she honestly does it all. And, and she has a real plan about how she wants to change and impact the world and, and is the type of person that I 100% have no doubt is going to achieve it. So Aww. I'm just so excited. You. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm excited to see um, what grad school what comes out of grad school and your research um and i think that it's something that the future of black women and and young black children um it's something that will benefit them and i hope this is no pressure but (laughs) (laughs) not at all it's fine But I just want to thank you again. This has been such a pleasure talking to you. (laughs) No, and thank you for having me. This was fun and I'm honored to even be on here. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is such a wonderful conversation I had with Vanessa. I know it was several months ago, but honestly, these are important conversations that need to continue to be had regardless of the timestamp. This week was her birthday, so please show her some love. And if you're curious about our nerdy anime interest, stay tuned after this outro to hear our conversation. In the future, any behind-the-scenes content like this is only going to be shared on my Patreon, so please be sure to subscribe and support us so that we can continue growing this podcast and we can get you episodes at a faster rate. I have several episodes that are in the queue and are just waiting to be shared with you all. Thank you again. And I'll see you on your next trip to Mars. Bye. Well, you have to come again. Um, <laughs> and, but most importantly, for those who are listening after the hours, the hour, what anime are you watching right now? I've honestly, this, this whole time, I've just been dying to talk to you about this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So right now, okay. So right now I am watching Your Lion April. Uh, <gasps> oh my yes. god! I'm getting my through that. Favorite. So yes, I'm getting through Your Lion April. I am watching Attack on Titan season two as my workout show. I've read the manga. I'm all caught up, but I'm just watching it as my yes. workout show. So you know what happens in season four? Yeah, I know everything what's going to happen <laughs> and I can't wait for everyone's because it's intense there's stuff that I have lots of feelings I can't wait to talk about uh, and then I'm watching um I'm taking a little break from my hero academia I just finished season three and so those are the three broad shows I am watching right now you have good taste uh, so is this your first time watching your line April yes it is People have been telling me to watch it for years and I'm finally, I'm finally watching it. <laughs> oh my God. I'm just like, uh, I'm geeking out. No, I love it. It's so, I didn't realize that like, you know, watching kids play music could be so intense. Like I'm really, it feels like, it feels like I'm watching a sports anime at times. I'm really like, oh my God, what's going to happen? And the scenes when he goes underwater, like when he, <sighs> when he can't think anymore, like, oh my God. And because I'm a violinist so that, 
oh. was really I can't even talk about that 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 anime because it's one of the first anime that I watched that's more about like real people like it's less mm-hmm. fantasmal. um and usually I would like it usually I wouldn't click it but I was like oh like let me watch something about music and it just is it's honestly it's life-changing so let I really want to know what you think about it when you're done but the whole attack on titan thing I felt a little bit duped because I waited a long time and I just I didn't do my research well enough because when I started watching it I'm definitely one of those people that I'm like I need to watch it one and done like I'm gonna Mm -hmm. I think my hero academia is the only one that I watch um like week by week and even that is a pain for me because I'm like they're only 20 minute episodes and so (laughs) I (laughs) but I watched Attack on Titan and then I was like shit there's still one more season that's not out yet why did I start this and so I'm like now one of those people that's like oh it's not coming out yet so (laughs) (laughs) yeah because I watched the first season and then it ended and then it's like next season coming out next year and I'm like or I could read the manga (laughs) and not have to wait (laughs) it's so much though oh my gosh well I'm gonna I'm gonna try and uh stay strong and not not look at spoilers but what a pain (laughs) it's it's like the non-spoiler way I describe it is that like so throughout the series I said that for me Aaron was a boring main character. Mm-hmm. He's kind of whiny. <laughs> he's, yeah, his main thing is anger. That's just it. He's anger, which I got at the beginning, but it got to the point where all these other characters around him were so interesting and dynamic that I'm like, okay, Aaron, I get it. You're angry. You want to kill the time. Like, what else is there? There was nothing more. So I'm like, I'm just, he was just boring to me. Right. But his singular focus and that rage that's still the same, but what he's doing with it now has become interesting Okay. in a way that I'm like, I'm not sure I can support you anymore. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah. So he like, he's, it's interesting. He's interesting again, but not because of his defining features, but more like what he's doing with it. That's my very vague way <laughs> got it so so maybe the tides are turning a little bit on who the protagonists and antagonists are kind of okay kind of i'll <laughs> whoever's listening to this <laughs> wow i don't know this is this is hard hard for for those waiting for attack on titan and then but isn't it supposed to come out the next season is it coming out this winter is it when is it coming out for it was supposed to be out i think but they pushed it back um i don't know when um so maybe it is supposed to be maybe they'll still release it this year but recently i've just been like letting myself be surprised (laughs) things are released um and i'm i'm just trying to watch a few new things just well i'm watching black clover because that's one of my shows that i keep up with i think i just keep up with Black Clover and and My Hero Academia. And then for fun, I realized I actually do like sports anime, which is so weird. I don't watch sports, but like <laughs> I watched all of Haikyuu. And now because I love science, I'm watching Dr. Stone. So <laughs> I haven't heard about Dr. Stone. What's that about? Um, it's, it's this um, anime of 
about a group of kids that um, were the whole earth was petrified, just humans and sparrows were turned into petrified stone. And, um, and 3,700 years later, they woke up um, like via nitric acid that, that um, allowed some of them to wake up. And now it's basically a challenge between this guy who's, who knows a lot about science and wants to bring back civilization and this man who's has this ideal of utopia without adults and he doesn't mm. want to wake everyone up so it's basically um like brains versus brawn um fighting over how to rebuild society mm. but of course they're all in japan so, <laughs> <laughs> like, so that's interesting it is because they'll they'll like show different um like science experiments and they're all like real like they're, they're teaching you about what different geodes and minerals do when they're combined it's basically like a, a chemistry class but through an anime where there'll just be some scenes where he'll be like and this is how we're getting through the this this century you know like and it's actually really interesting um or just like a quick like let me watch this between doing minimal work but <laughs> so, i'll check that out and it's so funny that he mentioned haiku because like i went through a phase in middle school when i was obsessed with sports anime like mm. that was like a solid like six to eight months like i only watch sports anime uh, yeah. so it's like with haiku i know this sounds really controversial because everyone loves it but like i don't like it why? Well, not that I don't like it. I feel like it was really, really hyped up to okay, me. Okay, okay. And I'm like, okay, so like this is gonna be like some new take. Like it's gonna be something very different. I've never seen oh, it in a sports no. anime. And then everyone's like, no, no, it's so unique. And I'm like, this is a sports anime. And they're like, it's. And I'm like, have you never watched a sports? So at least for me, I felt like <laughs> it was really, really hyped up. That right. I, people are like, it's amazing. It's unlike anything you've ever seen before. And I'm like. Is this your first sports anime? Yeah, so, and, it, and it was my first sports anime. Yeah, it, it's interesting you say that because I tried to watch Kuroko no Basket um, the other day, and mm -hmm. I was like, "Is this made by the same person?" <laughs> but it wasn't. But they, but they worked on. He helped the person who made Haikyuu. Mm -hmm. So, so I do see what you're saying because. I had the same feeling when I what when I started watching Kuroku no Basket. I was falling asleep because I was like, it feels just like Haikyuu. The animation looks yeah. just like Haikyuu, and so I can get that there's you know, no like it's good. It's very good. Yeah. I'm not denying that it's a very good sports anime. But just the way people, because every time I'm like, oh, it's a sports anime. I know what this is about. And we're like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. And I'm yeah. like, it's a sport. Like it's a very good sports anime. But I'm just like. You're like, they're it's all kind of similar. Same. Like, I got the gist. I know what they're all like. So yeah. it's good. It was just hyped up too much to me. And then I watched it being like, okay, I'm going to watch it because you told me it's different. Got it. Got and it. then it wasn't different. Right. And I'm like, I knew you shouldn't have lied to me. My expectations would have been lower and I would have liked it. <laughs> Don't lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh well i'm gonna That's follow good. so definitely follow up with me when you finish um your line april um yeah but thank you again oh my gosh this was so fun and honestly you you have made my 
It's Saturday, right? <laughs> yes, it is Saturday. <laughs> it is Saturday, surprisingly, you, shockingly. You've made, made my day, my week, the day of my weekend that I didn't even know was a weekend. Thank but, you. Uh, this was well, the best study break. <laughs> well, good luck with everything. So yeah, those are the last bits. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, happy studying. I I'll, let's stay in touch. This was great. Well, this was a lot of fun. Thanks okay. again for having me. Of course. Bye, Vanessa. Bye. <laughs>